Uh, over the next uh, three Sundays, we will uh, conclude our study on the first uh, five chapters of the book of John. Now, the reason we've been looking at, at John in the first five chapters of John is a purposeful follow-up on our study of Genesis 1 through 4. And uh, I know a lot of y'all probably think I try to do big picture too much, but I'm going to do it again before we come to our text. The reason that we looked at Genesis 1 through 4 is because we live in a society that is is continually moving toward uh, pluralism, secularism, uh, and the idea of distinctions and the distinction between, between the creator and the creature are to be uh, moved away. And everybody creates uh, a God of their own mind. And so the reason that we looked at Genesis 1 through 4 uh, is what theologians call cosmology, the order of things. Why are things the way they are? Because if you don't get the beginning point right, then there's no way that you can live in the present if you start from the wrong place. And I think that's kind of where we are in many ways. And so we looked at Genesis 1 through 4. And some of the things that we learned in Genesis 1 through 4 about origins is that the reason that we exist is because God exists, that he spoke and the world came into creation. Remember that. There's not a transcendent material in the universe. You are here because before the world ever began, you were in the mind of God. But we also saw that God created man unique from the animals. We know that, don't we? I mean, we don't really have funerals for our pet canary. But when somebody dies, we, we, we honor and value this life. Why? Because they're created in the image of God. God gave a covenant with Adam. And everything that structures history is covenant. Just trust me, there are different views of history. But trust me on this one. That you're in a covenant with God. He made a covenant with Adam of life and death. And you're part of that covenant. That's what structures history. We will be held accountable according to the covenant that this God, who we can know, this true and just, uh, how we respond to that covenant. Well, what we understand from the first chapters of Genesis is that that Adam sinned. And uh, Romans tells us that we were all in Adam. He was our federal head, and therefore we all sinned in Adam. And you know what? That explains why there's evil in the world. No other worldview can really explain it. And uh, we see this evil in the world because we see it in ourselves, that we're fallen, that we're broken. But it's also in Genesis uh, that we learn that there would be a second Adam. We talk about this a lot. Who is Jesus Christ uh, who would come into the world? And so we went to John because John is laying that out for us. So then in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, we see that the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God, and nothing was made apart from the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among men. Now, I'm going to tell you, if you're not a Christian here today, uh, you might go, that sounds fanciful, but that's what Christmas is all about. (laughs) The incarnation that God, the true God, not the one that we make up, was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. But here's what's interesting. 
is that the rest of the book of John comes off that prologue, verses 1 through 18. It flat out lays it out. And it's either a fanciful idea that's out there or it is true. And if it's true, you can't be pluralistic about who Jesus is. Because if he's God, he's your God. And if you're saved, it's because he's your redeemer. And if you're not saved, it is because you're still in Adam and not in Christ, the second Adam. And God speaks and lives are changed. So now we have a recreation. You see? He speaks. And unless you have been transformed by the Spirit of God coupled with the Word of God, His Word and Spirit, then you're not a new creation. I mean, I, I don't know how to put it. Exactly, Jesus is over and over and over again saying this. He says it in John 3, unless you're born again. Now, now, why do I bring this up? And I know it's a bit of an introduction, but I want you to know why we're studying John 1 through 5. It's been about four weeks since we've looked at it. It's, it's because Christianity 101 is who is Jesus Christ? What does that have to do with you? Christian or non-Christian? Now, what we're going to see in our text, I want us to read this text about this man that Jesus healed. And I think what we're going to see, and, and I spent a good bit of time studying this, I've read lots and lots of commentaries on this, is we're going to see a man who I think was healed in his body, but he was never healed spiritually. He experienced the benefits of Christ on the one hand, but on the other hand, those benefits kept him from his greatest need of all. And that is to, to be in the presence of God through Jesus. Uh, so, my question is, we come to our text, and I know I tend to be straightforward and, and, and blunt. I don't mean to be blunt, but uh, to me, uh, when I read Jesus, he's, he's constantly asking these questions. Where are you? <laughs> he's going to answer this guy. Do you want to be healed? Let me ask you, do you want to be healed today? Do you want to be made new? Well, then you, there's a lot to learn about Jesus, and there's a lot to learn about this guy who didn't get it. And so I want you to turn to our text. And uh, let's read. And, and, and as I read, I want you to think closely ab about what this guy does. Now, it's in, uh, it's in John chapter 5. The reason we print it out is we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Whoa, there goes my son. That's, I'm done with that page. Uh, read with me John chapter 1. I mean John 5 verse 1. Uh, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Now, you'll notice if you're reading King James or if you have another Bible, you, you'll notice the, the text we have skips over the, the, the stirring of the waters by the angels. We're going to look at that, okay, just in case you're going, what? there's a misprint. Uh, one man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? And the sick man answered him, sir... I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going all another steps down before me. 
And Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take your bed. But he answered them, "Uh, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is God's word. Let's pray for the preaching of the word and the openness of your hearts to receive God's word. Let's pray together. Father, these are amazing uh, words, amazing event. And Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to make these words alive. For revelation without illumination is just reading and hearing but never coming to a knowledge of the truth. And so, Father, we ask today that Christ would be lifted up and that being lifted up, we would be drawn to him, every one of us in this room. Father, we pray for uh, this time together in your word. And we ask these things in your name. And for your sake, amen. I couldn't find this quote. I know I've heard it. But I think that it was John Calvin who said this. One must dig in the mud to find diamonds. And so it is in the study of God's word. Uh, One of the reasons that we have women's Bible study, we have a morning study. And we have close to 100 women that come. We have an evening study for the women. The reason that we have small group Bible studies and the reason we train uh, men and women how to study God's word is because it is important to have men and women who are not just running along the tops of the scriptures, topsoil. But it's actually in the digging of the scriptures that you begin to see amazing things from the scriptures. Uh, I remember when I was at seminary and I had to do Uh, a paper, my theological paper, uh, my Hebrew, all the classes, they had their name in the the chapters and the verses, and of course I raised my hand, Dr. Robertson, I have chapter 38, but I have no verses by my name, by the the chapter, and he said, well, that's because you're doing the whole chapter. 
I said, I have to. <laughs> so I had to translate the whole uh, chapter 38. But, you know, it's amazing what I learned in chapter 38 of Genesis because you had the life of, of, of Judah in the midst of this wonderful guy named Joseph. And yet what you discover as you begin to dig and as I begin to dig, that God shows his grace because he rejects the tents of Ephraim, the descendants of Joseph, who was this wonderful man. And he chooses <laughs> the tents of Judah. So much to learn. One of the great things about being a minister is uh, that every Sunday I have to dig. I, I kind of, sometimes I wonder what I'd be like if I weren't a minister. But you see, I have to get up in front of y'all every Sunday. So I better come up with something. But, but you begin with a scripture, and as I dig, I, I see things I would never have seen before. And so is the case with this text. Now, if you read the story and like you're doing your Bible reading, you're having a quiet time, which is good, and I highly recommend that, do a Bible reading. But here's what you might say uh, as you look at the text. You might go, um, well, uh, you know, here's, uh, here's this guy um, who's uh, paralyzed, and Jesus is, is compassionate, and, and he heals this man, and his life has changed. And uh, Jesus has opposition, uh, but he's okay because he's God. He can take care of that. But at a closer look, as I looked at this text, and uh, it was it's interesting, reading a bunch of commentaries on this text, we have some amazing insights, not only to this man, but also to the person of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you my points here in just a minute. But it's important to put a little bit of this in the context. Uh, we have said that after the prologue, Prologue very clearly John stating that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The rest of the book is Jesus proving that. And so what he does throughout the book of John, and we've already seen this, he does these things called miracles that we call them. So uh, the, the changing of the water into wine, and at the, that's his first miracle at a marriage. All things are being made new, but, but it's never called a miracle. It's always called a sign. This is a sign of something greater, of a greater miracle. So when I was in Africa a couple of years ago, and I'm teaching a number of my Pentecostal brothers at the end of preaching about nine times, they said, uh, they had a Q&A, and they said, the first question, you know, the first question was, do you believe in miracles? And because they're like, great, I love your teaching, but you Presbyterians tend to be dry. And, uh, and so I said, oh, yeah, I, said, I believe in miracles. And they said, okay, what kind of miracles have you seen? I said, ah. I've seen hundreds of people raised from the dead. And they're like this, you know. Really? And I said, oh, well, but are you talking about the miracles where your hand gets healed or uh, maybe your hair grows back on your head, whatever it may be? Um, and they, they were like, well, yes. And I said, well, those are Mickey Mouse miracles. Because, you see, Jesus did those. But, you see, those miracles are signs pointing to what the reason I've been preaching to you all for the last two weeks and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let me tell you the greatest miracle in the world is if you're dead in your sin and God can make you alive. That's a miracle. And so that's what's going on here. And so what is it uh, in our text that we can learn about uh, this sign? And, uh, and I have uh, three things. I have to be uh, brief on each point if that's possible for me. But the first is that we discover the condition of man. In this text. And, it's, and, and that, that should come home to all of us. But then we're going to see the compassion of Christ 
for this man and the compassion he would be willing to have on you. And then the last thing we see on this whole Sabbath business is the conquest of Christ. Why he is able to change your life and make you new. And so as you come to these, uh, these points, I want to ask you, are you dull of hearing right now? Are you forever hearing but never coming to a knowledge of the truth? You certainly have Jesus coming to this man saying, Hey, <laughs> I came here to do more than heal your body and to pay your taxes and to give you a good retirement fund and season tickets. I've come to change you from the inside. And so the first thing to see is the, the condition of man. Do y'all see this picture here in verses 2 through 5? Uh, it's where all the um, invalids would hang out, the castaways. And so it says, now there was in Jerusalem a sheep gate, a pool, an Aramaic called Bethesda, which had five roof colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years, a man who apparently was paralyzed. Could you imagine 38 years? Matter of fact, one guy lectured on this who was paralyzed. And he said, let me tell you as a paralyzed person, uh, let me get real about uh, personal hygiene. And he began to lay out a picture of what this man had to deal with for 38 years. And who's going to touch that guy? Who's going to be around that guy? You understand the picture here? That's just one guy. And, uh, but of course... Um, we see this terrible condition. We find this man and all these poor souls that are wait, waiting on this miracle to happen. But don't we know the world's not right? I mean, I, let's get real here. Things are not right in this world. In fact, one of the reasons that we spend so much money on education, sending our kids to private school, and I remember my dad, he just had to send me to college. I had to figure out how to do private school and then send them to college. You know what that's like. So you're working to educate your children. Now, why do we do that? Because the statistics show that if you're educated, chances are you'll make more money, right? I mean, that's just a statistical fact. The more the education, uh, the more the understanding the more the ability to get a job that makes income. And why is that so important to us? Because we want control. Because money allows you to have air conditioning. Right? To have a nice home. Ooh, I'm going to trip myself. Money uh, allows you, if you get sick, to go to the doctor. Some people, if you're wealthy, if your heart goes bad, you can go see a doctor and you get the best doctors. Why? Because money pays for that. Money buys some kind of sense of freedom that's there. But what's very interesting to me in many ways is how many Christians or people maybe here at Redeemer, that you spend all this money on your children's education, you can get Christian education for free on Sunday mornings. Bring your kids to Sunday school. That's how important it is for us because if there's one thing we get at the horizontal level is this world has pain. Now let me give you, I could give you so many instances of this, but I don't have time. But let me just tell you one this past week. And they're multitude. They're, they're just multitude that are out there. I'd love to take you to Africa with, with me and where 750,000, I thought 100,000 people were killed under Joseph Coney in northern Uganda. They said, oh, no, no, my brother. 750,000. 
were killed in about five years. You got orphans. And you're over in Africa, and all of a sudden, it, you're just overwhelmed with their pain and their suffering. That I get on a plane, I come back, I get to watch the game. And of course, while I'm over in Africa, I found out the pain and the, the suffering of members of our church who, who uh, found out cancer's back. Our little Beck, our little uh, three-year-old, who's my granddaughter's age. But, but just this past week, I was talking to one of the administration at the, the school in the back. I don't know if you know we have an academy in the back for urban children. And uh, this guy was just telling me, he said, you know, I, I tell you what, uh, you know, there's a mother who wants her kid in school, and she's doing everything she can, but she's afraid that she's going to lose where she's going to live, and they're going to have to live in a car. And she's not sure how they get, she's going to feed them. And so he said, I, you know, just to see her pain and her suffering and her fear and her tears and not knowing what to do about it because there's probably 65 others at the school. That's why we do the school. Why? Well, we want them to know Jesus Christ. But if they never know Jesus Christ, at least they'll be educated and alleviate some of the pain that's there. Maybe some of the reason that some of you might be uh, here this, this morning is, is because, it, you, you know, you're like, man, the stuff has finally happened. For some of you, though, that life might be okay right now. You've got the money. You know how you're going to do this thing. But if you're old as I am, you know that it's all smoke. You never know when you're going to wake up and find out things have fallen apart Our health, we watch what we eat and exercise because we know our bodies are very fragile. I don't know if you remember the guy Jim Fix. He was the one that started all the running deal. Some of you older people probably remember Jim Fix. Back in the 70s, and man, this guy's, you know, the picture of health. <laughs> so everybody starts running, and then he goes out for running and dies of a heart attack. Why? Because his heart was wrong. Something was wrong with his heart. He never saw that, never knew it. And bam, he drops dead just like that. And here he spent all that time watching his health. You see, one of God's great blessings, to be quite honest with you, is affliction. Because, you see, that's the reality that the world that we live in, most people are afflicted, and so they begin to look for a world to come. But she says, as long as everything's okay, and I got enough money, and I got enough this, and I got enough that, and uh, yeah, my kids aren't doing too well, but at least we can go on vacation and not worry about it for a while. Then you're not sitting by the pool of Bethesda, by the sheep gate, on the north side of the city. And you know what the sheep gate was? There were a bunch of gates, and you go back to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. The sheep gate was where the sheep came in to be sacrificed on behalf of the people. So here are the infirmed at the place where mercy comes. And I would say to you this morning, if, if life's not going well for you and you're bewildered, oh, we're going to see here in a minute Jesus cares about you. And I would say this, if you're a Christian and, you, and you've entered into this grace then do you know that's why we should be caring for the poor? 
why we should be reaching out to other people. You know why? Because when you see them, you are reminded of your condition apart from God's mercy and grace. Versus, yep, hear a sermon, go out, boom, do that, boom, 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 and you're going, you're going 90 miles an hour, and everything's great, but you see, God in His grace, He might absolutely one day bring something in your marriage where you go, oh, or in your health. I will do your funeral one day, or you're going to come to mine. And I do a lot of funerals. I've done a lot of aunts and uncles here in the last year, like three or four of them. And and my father-in-law, we thought, was dying here this week. Mr. Football, drafted by the Rams to play quarterback. Mr. Every, and now he's reduced to just a shriveled body. And knowing... Wait a minute, I, I, I need Christ. So in your affliction, turn to Christ. Let me tell you why you can turn to Christ. It's because we see the compassion of Jesus Christ. Do y'all, do y'all see that here in our text? So he comes to this man. And what it says about this man, and it says, it's very interesting. It says about all these people. They're at the north gate, the sheep gate on the north side of the city. Jesus comes there. He's not going through the other gates. He's not in other parts of the city. He's always coming to those who are here this morning who have absolute need. Need for your heart to change. Need for your marriage to change. Need for your health to change. Need, need. But he said, I did not come. I'm not coming to those who aren't sitting around the pool of Bethesda. But what it says about these people, it says that they were invalids. Now, you know, I love looking at words, and do you you know what the root word of invalid is? Valid. (laughs) So let's look at it another way. Invalid. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of us, we spend our whole lives, whether it's preachers or accountants or mothers or fathers or football players or whatever it may be, intellectuals, the reason we're really wanting to be intellectual is because we try to validate our lives. Does my life really matter? Does my not life count? Does it count? Well, you know what? Apart from God and living for His glory, your life not only doesn't count, but it is contrary to living for the glory of God. You're living for your own validation, not the lifting up of Jesus Christ. What does it say about these people? It says that they are invaluable in the eyes of the world. Put them up there. Uh, they might have a little mental, mental illness. You know what? I'm not going to hang out with that person because they might do something that would embarrass me. Put them over there. The rebellious child, put them over there. Versus understanding that maybe the reason we have rebellious children is because there's so much pain and suffering in their life. And rather than being like Jesus and entering into their suffering and saying, hey, listen, I know, I'm, listen, you can't do that. I have to punish you. But what in the world is going on? And then you, know, you might find out all kind of things about your child you never knew. 
you know, what we're trying to do, though, is we're so busy validating our life, being good lawyers, being good doctors, being good businessmen, being good moms, being good preachers, and making sure that Redeemer doesn't reduce in their numbers, that we miss so many people, but not Jesus. So he comes to this man, right? And um, he singles this guy out. And just, and just a couple of things to see uh, as he come, comes and engages this man. And, and the first thing to see is that, you know what, there were a lot of invalids there, but he came to that man. And I, I don't fully understand. I don't know how D Jesus did that, but do you understand how many sick people were in Jerusalem? Do you re- realize how many people he walked past all the time and he had the power and the ability to, to heal them? But he didn't heal them. You might go, well, why would he do that? Why would he single out this guy, and why would he not single out somebody else? Why doesn't he just go in there and throw pixie dust, and everybody gets healed? You know what? Because, and I know this is going to shock some of you, it's the same idea when the Tower of Siloam fell. And 18 people were killed. That was a current event in the time of Jesus. And the question to Jesus was, why uh, did this happen? What was it that they did that they happened to be in that tower at that time because a guy didn't build the tower very well? You know, Jesus' response is, wrong question. The question is, why were you not in that tower? You see, when you start going, why would he do that? Why would he not do that? It is a tremendous sign that you're not an invalid. Somehow you think God owes you because you've performed and you've been a good person or you've tithed, you've done this and that and the other. But you see, Jesus is not coming to those people. But he doesn't come to them all. He comes to this, this man. And so what you see is Jesus is the one doing the seeking. And I won't be Presbyterian about this, Okay. And, and just show us absolute pure grace. But, I mean, all you got to do is look and see that he comes to this man. And I'll tell you, that I, my brother and I, we were converted two different ways. I was dramatically converted. My brother kind of thought about it for two or three years, and then he was converted. So here I am. I'm not seeking. He seems to be seeking. But you know what my brother Bob will tell you now? When I was seeking, he was seeking me first. Now, um, so he comes to this man. He singles him out. But then he asks this man this question. Does it seem like an odd question that you would ask a guy that's been like paralyzed for 38 years? By the way, do you want to be healed? It almost sounds like it's rude. Like, well, that is the dumbest question I've ever heard. And why would he do that? Well, notice what the man's answer is. The man's answer is, uh, well, you know what? Uh, I'm kind of waiting on these waters to stir, and I believe there's healing power in those waters, but there's never anybody there to put me in those waters. So you want to hang out with me? That'd be great. And so in many ways, uh, what we see is, is in that situation, we ourselves kind of operate like this guy. Rather than going, I'm absolutely, utterly helpless, and I put my, hands, uh, my life in your hands, you are what life's about. We end up going, okay, Jesus, you can save me on my terms. Let me tell you what that looks like. 
I mean, it looks like, be honest with you, it looks like going to Redeemer and going, this is, you know what, I like going to Redeemer, and I think it's going to save my marriage. Because my marriage is terrible. But man, I like the people, and it's going to save my marriage. And so you come to Redeemer not to know Christ's presence, no matter what happens to your marriage, but to save your marriage. Or you come here on uh, Thursday night for the men's steak night, which I would encourage all you men to come, because it's a great thing to come to steak night. Uh, well, anyhow, we serve food back there. We keep saying steak, and guys, we deceive them because sometimes it's like burritos, but, <laughs> but I digress. But you go and you go, okay, man, great. He's going to do this thing on marriage, and, 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 and you know what? Or you got to flesh his uh, marriage strong thing, which I've done, and it's great, and you ought to do it with our, our counselor here, Fletch. But you know what? Fletch, have you discovered that a lot of people just get disappointed later? Like, well, I thought it was going to change my marriage. Versus... You have Jesus. He is sufficient. And so he's operating with being in partnership with, with Jesus rather than just uh, surrendering to Christ. Well, what does Jesus say to him? So, did he get any more little conversation with him try to psychoanalyze why the heck he would say something stupid like that? You know, he says, just take up your mat and walk. And guess what happened 2,000 years ago at the Pool of Bethesda for this guy? He got up and he walked. You know why? Because the same God who spoke and the universe came into existence is the same God in the flesh who speaks to that man and says, take up your mat and walk. And he does. You know why he does that? Because he's greater than Moses. Because he's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Elisha. He's the Messiah. And so he does. And, and so what does this man do? He, he takes his mat up, and I think Jesus tells him to take up his mat. So it was on Sabbath day. That's a big thing. It, he did this on the Sabbath. And so here's this guy. He's walking around. He's got his bed, you know, because Jesus told him to carry his bed. And then here come the Pharisees, right? The religious people. What, are you, what in the world are you doing with that mat? Rather than, whoa, man, I'm so glad you can walk. And, uh, and, and so what you have is a, tra- now what you have is a shift in, in, in where we're moving uh, away from this guy and Jesus healing this guy. And which, by the way, the reason most people don't think he was saved and I don't have time to get into it is because he's, unlike the guy in John 9 who, who says, listen, yeah, do y'all want to worship Jesus? He said, hey, don't, I, I'm not, he, he's the one who told me to carry the mat. Jesus later comes to him, and I don't have time to look at this, but he comes to the man in the temple the second time. And he tells him, listen, here's God's grace. See what, it, what, 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 what has been done for you. But don't sin unless something worse happens to you. And you go, wow, book of Job doesn't say that. Book of Romans 8 doesn't say that. Why is he saying that? Because I'm just going to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are sins repeated sins that begin to have consequences for. But, but Jesus is lovingly coming and saying, listen, I've healed you in your legs. I want to heal your soul. And you see, that's when you go, hey, man, I have Christ. I don't need all that other stuff. And what does this man do? You know what he does? Afterwards, either he's dumb or he's deceitful, but he goes and he gets his name because he didn't even know his name. Right, here he is, he healed him. He says, that man, 
Uh, that man was Jesus. He's the one that healed me. And then it says all the guns at that point for the rest of the book, they're turning on Jesus because of two things. One is they think he's a Sabbath breaker. But more importantly, in Jesus' response, he says, I can heal because my father and I have always been working on the Sabbath. And God rests. I mean, rest. He's at peace with what he's done. But God has been working ever since, governing all his creatures and all their actions. And here's Jesus. When they confront him about this, about the Sabbath, I can't believe that you would do this on the Sabbath. He says, my father's always been working on the Sabbath. And therefore, I'm healing. Why? Because I'm God. And they understood that. And they're ready <laughs> to kill him. It's a powerful text. And this man misses it. Woman of the well got it. Right? The chapter before that, the harlot, the woman that had been married five times, she got it. She went, she went out and told everybody in the village, hey, you need to come hear him. He knew what a harlot I was. What does this guy do? He's ashamed of Jesus. And the great, the difference between professing believers and those who love Jesus because of what Jesus has done is they like to talk about him. They, they like to, you know, and talk to him, you see. And so he's the Lord, he's the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, what Sabbath do we need? Whether it's, you know, Sabbath rest and all that good stuff. But the ultimate rest that you need is the rest that's underneath all your work. Because you know what you're spending most of your time doing if you don't know Christ? You're spending your whole life busy, busy, busy trying to validate yourself. You ever thought about that? I'm spending all this time trying to validate myself. Being a great lawyer, being this, and my daddy likes me, and my husband likes me, and my wife likes me. You know what? Jesus says, I've come to take all that away from you because you can find rest in me because I will love you even when I find out what you're like. Now, do you know this Jesus? Have you come and put your faith and trust in him? You see, he's accomplished all the work. It's, he's, God, he's the God man, and you need a substitute. If you don't have that substitute this morning, can I promise you that maybe God is, well, I can't promise you this, but perhaps God is speaking to you. And if you were just come on his conditions, sovereign, almighty God, who demands justice, and he's done it through Jesus Christ. You say, I come, and I don't know what it means for me in the future, but I surrender my life to you. Until you do that, you'll be just like this man who's never been changed. I encourage you to do that. Jesus will love you more than you can ever imagine. You just have to come to him on his terms. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time in your word. Father, I pray that you would change lives today. If there are those who are here today that are, have been ever hearing but never come to a knowledge of Christ, if your spirit is breaking through a heart uh, that has uh, been playing games, Lord, I pray that they would come to faith this morning. I pray for those who might be visiting today. Uh, Lord, that they would consider that things are completely out of control, and that's why you came into the world. And so, Lord, cause them by faith to see Christ. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.